Romans. Now, let me go ahead and set the context before we stand in the honor of the reading of Scripture for you today. It was at the beginning of the, or at the end of the school year, as I was contemplating the principle that speaks in Scripture that first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. And as the school season was ending there at the school campuses here around the state of Arkansas, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be something if we just had a season of the, of the school of the Spirit in our midst in summer? So I called it a summer school of the Spirit and began to teach and preach. And, and it began with the context of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon and infilling His children. But it goes much beyond that. It goes farther and deeper. And, and I, wanna, I want you to be aware that where we're going with this study here in this, ser- in this particular series in the book of Romans is a very special place. It's a place of liberty. It's a place of freedom. It's a place where you're not restricted by the rules and regulations of religion. It's a place where you're empowered to serve God. You're empowered not from an outward force that, of coercion that, that, that makes you, in essence, or manipulates you, not in the necessarily a bad way, but manipulates you. No, this is God empowering you to live a life that's pleasing unto him. See, God chose to tabernacle with the men. His name was called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, in his, some of his final exhortations to his disciples, says, It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, then the Comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will pray the Father, and he will send the Comforter to you. Jesus said that he will abide in you, and he will be with you forever. And thus the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And when someone receives Christ as Savior, then they receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit comes not just as a down payment for eternity, not just to hold and reserve your place in God's eternal kingdom. His Spirit comes into your life to empower you to walk and to do the things that you could not previously do. You could not serve God in a clear conscience. You could not serve God because you were carnal. You were uh, enmity. The Bible speaks of your Uh, of our mind before we were saved as enmity with God. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he makes all things new. Come on, he empowers us in a way that enables us to do the will of God. So today, I want to ask you now, I've got a lot of scripture as I have, and our primary text will eventually be in Romans 4. But I'm going to spend a little bit longer today of building that particular passage. When we hit Romans 4, we'll probably move rather quickly through a portion of it till we get closer to the end. This particular series is different for me in the sense that I'm reading line upon line, precept upon precept, not depending typically upon notes. I have some notes to begin the sermon, but not once we begin into Romans 4. But we're going to start where we started a few weeks ago in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. This particular chapter is where Paul is culminating in the particular points and principles that he had expounded upon in the preceding verses. Now remember, as Paul writes this epistle, he doesn't write in the format in which it's broken for you, and that is chapters and verses. He has a theme. He has an intention. There's something on his heart that he's taking the people of Rome, the Christians of Rome, primarily the Jews, but also the Gentiles, to understand He certainly is taking them to a place where they understand that righteousness is not obtainable by the adherence to the law, but it is by the free gift of grace. 
And so through this revelation, he writes to us in the eighth chapter. This is the end in essence, but we're going to go back and go along the journey to arrive at this destination. So let's look at the destination as you would if you would stand in the honor of the reading of Scripture today. Now just remember this as we expound upon the law to which I have alluded to previously and will do so again today. There was a monumental moment that took place on the day of Pentecost and what that meant. I've got a lot reserved for you in the, in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, but that's at the end of this particular sermon series. So I can only just give you little nuggets or flashes of this prior to us actually arriving there. But just so you'll know the historical context of what it means by the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the celebration of weeks. It was a feast that was held 50 days after Passover. Passover was significant to ancient Israel because it celebrated the night that the, the lamb was slain that broke the bondage off of, of Egypt, off of the Egyptian or off of the Israeli people that allowed them to come out. Remember the death angel would pass through all houses that were in Egypt, including the Israelites, but those that were covered by the blood of the lamb, come on, would escape the wrath of God and be brought out. Now, 50 days later, they were led to the base of Mount Sinai, to which we'll allude in a few moments, and there they received the law of commandments. Now, on this particular feast, remember, on the day of Pentecost, when you read that in Acts chapter 2, when it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. There would have been a service in the temple in which a priest would have went into the holy place with two loaves of bread, and those two loaves of bread would have represented represented the law of commandments it would have represented the two tablets of stone that Moses descended from Mount Sinai with and they would the priest would have stood and he would have lifted those those uh, two pieces of bread before God and he would have thanked God for the giving of the law and so what you have to see is simultaneously or sometime in the same context of time that as the priest is raising his hand to celebrate the giving of the law there comes a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind God is ushering in a new dispensation in which men would not be guided necessarily by an external law but we would receive the indwelling Holy Spirit and now we would be guided by an internal are y'all hearing what I'm saying guidance system that would keep us walking holy before the Lord the coming of the Holy Spirit and so he's writing here in the eighth chapter there is you know you can already tell our pastor could preach a lot about this already I'm just now in, in the introduction there is therefore now first of verse no condemnation to you who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death come on now for what the law could not do now this is its one weakness it was weak through the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law, the expectation of the law was that there would be a righteousness that would be lived out. It could not be met previously because people were weak in the flesh. But now, look at this, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us because we don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Right. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the flesh, but the, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
To be carnally minded is enmity again, or is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So you can't just take someone who is not born again and conform him to the will of God. He has to be born again. He has to be born by the Spirit. But that's where the error occurs. A lot of people have a desire to serve God and they attempt to conform their lives to an expectation of what Christianity should look like. And they never receive the indwelling Spirit. And so they're in a futile effort. It's always up and down, hot and cold. They walk holy for a while and then they fall back. It's because they've not received. Because notice this. It says then, as it says, you, you, you are not in the flesh, ninth verse, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you you're in the spirit now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he is not his if Christ is in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness now if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you now let me put this in the proper context that's not just speaking of the resurrection That's speaking of a resurrected life in this life. That's speaking of a life that's changed because you are now conformed to the will of God, not conformed to this world. Therefore, brethren, notice this. You are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will die. Live For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For His Spirit, the Spirit of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I have a testimony today that I am a child of God. Come on, and it's not because I joined a church or, I rec- or that I memorized a creed or a constitution or a code, but because the Holy Spirit came into my heart and brought new life, declaring me to be a child of God. Therefore, if I'm a child of God, he said that I'm an heir, 17th verse. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, we're going to continue this journey today to learn in the school of the Spirit that we can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh of the flesh amen father we love you today we're honored to be in this house i'm very thankful to be the pastor of this wonderful fellowship if there's any hindrance to the preaching teaching or exhortation of the word of god let it be quickly and hastily removed father god today i've asked in all sincerity that you would give me the tongue of the learned that i might have a word in season for he that is weary but i would also pray that the hearts of people would be ready to receive this engrafted word which james said is able to save our souls so today we thank you for the reading of scripture it's in jesus name we pray and all of god's children said amen Amen. you can be seated now i have to say this just very very quickly to create again a little bit deeper into our context in our culture today 
And each week I could stand here and speak about cultural issues. It'd be very easy to do with all the shifts that are going on in America today. But there's also a lot of shifting in the American church as well. We're a generation that has become almost biblically illiterate. And it's not just in the world. It's not in just our native, uh, you know, American citizens. But it's in men and women in the kingdom of God who do not take the time to educate themselves, to grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there are churches that specialize in the shallow end of the pool, but we are not one of those churches. We are a church that wants to move you, come on, deeper into the knowledge of God. Because as you grow in the knowledge of God, you become more conformable to his image. You become more pliable towards his purpose as he works in you by his Holy Spirit. The context certainly is justification and righteousness by faith apart from works, to which we'll allude more for our text today alludes more in Romans 4. Paul here in the passage that we just read, again, just reminds you there'll be much more expounding upon this passage in the weeks ahead that will bring you to a place where you live life without condemnation or guilt you're not always looking over your shoulder you're not always looking fretting about the past the sins of the past or the sins of the present or the potential of the sin of the future but you are at peace with God that's a great place to live to live at peace with God when you walk with peace or have peace in your heart then you have no condemnation you live life to the joy and and the rejoicing of the Holy Spirit in you as you walk in the spirit and you do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh the argument that Paul has been making throughout this book of Romans is whether or not one can be justified, which justification in the Greek means just as if you have never sinned. It is a judicial term, and it is someone that has been previously declared as unjust, but now the great judge has put his gavel down and declared that all your sins are acquitted, and you are free of all guilt and shame, and it is just as if, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You have never sinned. And all the shame associated with that, all the condemnation, all of that is to be removed because you are justified in Christ Jesus. And you are righteous before the Lord. Righteous means right standing with God. And many times we never get that down in our spirit and we don't think the Father is pleased in us. The Father bruised his son on the cross so he could delight in you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And so the context again is whether or not you can be justified and declared righteous apart from walking in a strict adherence to the law of Moses. And if justification either by faith or the law also includes the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul in this context affirms in his belief that it does. That it's not limited to the Jewish people alone. Today's context when we backtrack shortly into the book of Romans. Will be an examination of Abraham's righteousness by faith. Apart from the works of the law. Because let me remind you Galatians says that he received the promise that he would be made righteous 400 years before the law was ever given, but 400 years before Moses ever climbed up Mount Sinai. And so, but before we can go there, I must, as your pastor, remind you once again of the merit, the value, and the purpose of the law. I will again remind you of its weakness. It's weak through the flesh. We understand that. But there is merit to the law. Unfortunately, our culture today is arriving in a place where we are becoming lawless. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's why contention abounds in America today, and it's only going to get worse. 
Come on, we raise up a generation that does not hold dear to the principles that previous generations have held true to. And so what we're going to see is a lawlessness abound. But I, I, that's not going to be an R. We see the merit and the value of the law. Let me read a, two, a few verses of Scripture. They're going to post them, but I'm going to, well, I'll read them with you. It's in Romans chapter 7, verse number 7. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He said, certainly not. I would not have even known sin except through the law. I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not sin. He says, that is the law sin? Certainly not. He said in Romans 7, the 12th verse, that the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and the commandment is just and good. In Romans 7, verse number 14, he said the law is spiritual. In Romans 3, the third verse, he said, both the Apostle Paul writing now, says the law is the oracles of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I would have liked to allude to this passage because I have referenced it some in the most recent past. I want to allude to it and let you actually read it with me here today in the 5th verse through the 10th verse as Paul is affirming Timothy's ministry. He said the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. And that's one thing that Paul addresses in other passages both in Galatians and in Romans. In essence he said what Jesus said that the two greatest purposes of the law was that you would love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that right? And so he said the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. They desire to be teachers of the law. They don't understand neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good. If we use it lawfully, I wish our American judicial system would once again use the law lawfully. I wish that they would again write laws based upon the precepts and principles that Moses carried down from Mount Sinai rather than just the consciousness of a wicked and an adulterous generation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There'd be a lot more civil order in our American culture today if we did, if we would use the law lawfully. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man. God does not intend to bridle you by the law because he's given you something that the previous generations as uh, uh, previous believers before the cross did not have. He's given you the Holy Spirit. Come on now, and that's where we're going with this whole message. Not today, but in the, the whole culmination of this writing is for us to understand that we're not necessarily governed by this external parchment called the law, but we're governed by an internal compass, come on, and governor called the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. But the law is good. If you'll use it lawfully, every culture on, a, on planet earth would be far better if they would extract their laws in their legal system from the laws of God. I tell you, it'd be far better than Sharia law that was born in the mind of Muhammad, given to him by the hand of demonic spirits. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And yet God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. He said, but it is made for the lawless and the unsubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinner, for the unholy and the profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers and manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, Paul writes. He said the law is good. It'll take unholy men and it'll keep them between the yellow line and the white line. And we need that in our culture today. So, but it is not sin. It was only weak through the flesh. Its weakness was it could not provide redemption. 
in its entirety. Let me take you just a moment of time to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want you to see as Moses rehearses the giving of the law. It's very important. I want you to see for just a moment because I want you to value it differently than what you've been exposed to in many Christian circles. And a lot of times whenever anybody brings up the law of Moses, they, people just put up shields and shun. We try to rebuke people. Don't be talking to me about that. I'm in the dispensation of grace. But yes, we are in the dispensation of grace. But remember this. Without the law, the Holy Spirit could not arrest us against anything, could not charge us as guilty before God. We would be guilty. We just wouldn't know we were guilty. We would be sinners. We just wouldn't know we were sinners. We would be like a person who has cut himself but has no feeling. He could bleed to death and not even know it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the law comes to arrest you, to show you that you're guilty before God and you are in need of a Savior. It points us to Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we need to value it for its proper purpose. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses is rehearsing to Israel what a blessing they had received when God had given them the law. Let's read this beginning in the fifth verse. Can we do that for just a moment? I know I'm taking a long time to get you to where I'm taking you, but that's okay. There's no greater place than you'd rather be than right here. Y'all just sung it while I go, you hypocrites. And so, surely I have taught you statues and judgments. Fifth verse. Just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Now remember, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final farewell sermon to Israel. He's reminding them of the need to adhere to the law. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will, who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. Wouldn't it be again amazing? If our culture today said, you know what? There was one law given that all nations, even that are not necessarily being declared righteous, but could have some type of sustainable civil order if they would extract the laws of their land from the laws of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And so surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. For what great nation, the nation of Israel, is there that, our, that God is so near to it? as the I could preach this about America, but I won't. For our Lord God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statues and righteous judgment as are all in, his, are, are in all this law which I have set before you today? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren especially concerning especially concerning the day that you stood he's reminding them that they stood before the Lord God in Horeb when the Lord said to me gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach them to their children then you, will, then you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, what is important about this is that God appeared not just to one man. If Moses went alone up Mount Sinai and the people never stood at the base and never heard the voice of God, never saw the, th the lightnings, never heard the thunderings, then it could have easily and quickly become an apostate religion. It could have been nothing more than the mind of Moses. 
Moses could have come and he could have given principles out of the dictates of his own heart. But when Moses taught principles and precepts and statutes and commandments that were in harmony with the voice that uttered out of the lightnings and the thunders when the granite mountain burned with fire and the people shrank back at the glory of God, seeing no form nor silhouette of a man, but hearing the audible voice of God declare the Ten Commandments in their ears, that gave confirmation that the law that Moses would soon bring and present to them that had been pinned on tablets of stone was not written or chiseled by Moses' hand, but it was written and chiseled by the finger of God. It was holy. It was divine. That's why Paul said the law is not sinful. The law is holy. The problem was it was given to unholy man. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And so Moses is reminding them of this moment. And the Lord spoke to you. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. He declared to you his covenant that he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded you at that time or commanded me to teach you statues and judgments in the land that you might observe them in the land which you crossed to possess. Isn't that amazing? A law given that if Israel would follow, it would would distinguish them from all other nations. It would protect them from the sinful practices of other nations. Nations that were wicked, that were throwing their children into fiery pits, into offering unto false gods. Husbands and wives leaving their covenants with each other to have sexual intercourse with animals and prostitutes and men with men, working that which is unseemly. But God gave man a law to follow that would, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Sustain their community, sustain their lives, keep them healthy. The law, if followed, would, get, would give Israel to the access to the presence of God and to the promises of God. The law would provide limited and conditional atonement. The law would also reinstitute, reinstitute circumcision, which would connect the people to the promise made to Abraham. Now we're going to read just about four more verses in the book of Deuteronomy before we quickly get to the book of Romans, and we're going to hasten through part of that in Romans to complete today. But I want you to see this. I I'm going to stand before God with a clear conscience one day and I want to be able to say God I led this church family into principles of truth to distinguish them from the from the culture around us which is biblically anemic where we don't have the stability of faith because we're not putting root downward and we're not bearing fruit upward are y'all hearing what I'm saying but I want to be guilty of taking a church family and exposing you to the knowledge of God because as you are exposed to the knowledge of God you will grow in grace you will grow in understanding. The Holy Spirit will work in your heart and life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You'll no longer be conformed to the image of this world, but you'll be conformed to the image of Christ. What you used to do, you won't do anymore. Come on, because of the knowledge of God revealed to you by the Holy Ghost, you understand now it's not you who do it, but it is Christ that dwells inside. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It's not you who performs it, but it's Christ in you that enables you to serve God. Amen. Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 47 are two verses. I just want you to read them with me. He said to them, Moses, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life 
And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Isn't that amazing? Now back to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Two quick verses that I wanted you to see before we pick up the book of Romans very quickly today. And we'll conclude. I told you I won't preach long from Romans, but I am going to take you on a brief journey today. Deuteronomy 6, two verses. Are y'all with me out there in radio land? 24th verse, the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Isn't that something? So God's intent through the law was to preserve Israel alive. And then notice this. If you can keep it, it will be righteousness for you. Now, the, book, the Amplified Bible, this is very important because it picks up the same context that Paul uses, the accounting terms. Paul uses that in the third and the fourth chapter of the book of Romans that we'll draw our attention to in a moment. It says, it will be accounted, Amplified Bible, it will be accounted righteousness for you. If you can observe it, if you can keep it, there are 613 commandments recorded in the, what's known as the Mosaic Law, the five first books of the Old Testament, known as the Torah, those uh, 613 commandments. If you can keep them, then it will be accounted for you as righteousness the error was unfortunately the people could not or did not keep them does that make sense and what paul is addressing the, he was addressing the belief by many in his day and even some in our day is that if you keep some measure of the law then righteousness would be imputed or counted to you by the keeping of the law but paul teaches that what has taken place at the cross was a transaction has met the demand that was created by man's inability to keep the law. Uh-oh. When man couldn't keep the law, he was called a transgressor. He's now in debt to God. He had no ability to pay. There was no work whatsoever that man could provide to atone for his sin and his wickedness. But on the cross of Calvary, God gave through the person of Jesus Christ the one payment God was willing to receive, and that was the precious blood. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It was precious blood, and it was enough to satisfy the just demands of a holy God. And so God took his hand, and he wiped away, he erased all the sins of men all the way back to the uh, garden called Eden and all the way forward to the last man ever born of a woman and God welcomes all who will come and put their faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross are y'all hearing what I'm saying and so now today we recognize that we cannot obtain righteousness by keeping the law but by believing in Christ so as we turn to Romans 4 to start our conclusion and the context where I want to take you today for just a few moments. It won't take me long to get there. It's got depth, but I'll move quickly through it. Paul will begin to allude to his, the father Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He was a descendant of Shem. 
He received a promise from God in Genesis 12. God made covenant with him. He was 75 years old, and God said, I want you to leave the land of your forefathers. I'm going to take you into a new land. He promised to make him great and to give him the land and his descendants. In Genesis 15, God gave Abram a covenant, and he received it from the Lord. And when he received that covenant from the Lord, the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That singular act of faith measured out on more than one occasion later was ascribed to him as righteousness. There was no law to adhere to. There was no mosaic code. There was only faith. He believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now Genesis 16 tells us that Abraham at the urging of Sarah produced a child to fulfill in his mind what was the promise of God. It became a child of the flesh because it was not through Sarah's womb but it was through Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. It created a, a generation of people called the Ishmaelites. Abraham thought that God would honor that uh, effort that he made, but God didn't accept that. That was not the culmination of the promise that he made. So that was 12 years after the initial covenant. Uh, he was 87 years of age. Now, 12 years later, he's 99 years of age. God reappears to him, and he reaffirms the original covenant that he made with him when he was 75. Let me tell you, don't ever get ahead of God. God never never moves at your pace he moves at his own pace but let me tell you God's always on time he's always on time and he reaffirms the covenant with Abraham and he instituted circumcision as a sign of the covenant and he also changed the name of Abram to Abraham and Sarah his wife to Sarah Abraham is 99 years old and he receives circumcision which is the cutting away of the flesh Sarah is 90 years old he and his wife are both past the natural ability to produce children but Genesis 21 verses 1 and 2 says, But the Lord visited Sarah and did for Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And that's what we're going to pick up as we get ready to close today. Isn't that good? Pastor Brown's going to be like Dr. Brassfield, the longest introduction and the shortest sermon. Let's read in Romans 3 today. It says, Where is boasting? The 27th verse. It is excluded. By what law? I'm going to be guilty of teaching you the word of God. Where is boasting? Who can boast about anything before God in their works, their efforts of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. For is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Come on, somebody. I hope he's the God of the Gentiles. Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And Paul's going to validate that principle in just a moment. Do we then make void the law of God through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's just read this. There's only a couple points that I'm going to make from it. We're just going to let the scriptures speak for themselves. We're going to let it be a spark in your heart. You're going to get home and you're going to say, I want to read this for myself. Because what does it do for me when I have the revelation that I am justified before God? What does it do for me when I have the revelation that I am justified before God? What does it do when I realize there is therefore now no condemnation 
So when my conscience condemns me, I'm able to rebuke my own conscience and say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after... Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Then when the enemy speaks a word to my mind and condemns me for my sins past and present, I'm able to say, he that the Son has set free is free indeed. And then when others around me look at my life and they look at my past and always, just like Joe said this morning, try to judge me for my effort and compare me to others I can simply say I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus old things have passed away and all things are made new by the power of Jesus Christ are y'all hearing me and so I can get up every day without depression because I don't believe that God is against me I believe that God is for me for he that spared not his only son but delivered him up for us all how will he not freely give us all things to enjoy that's why the spirit joins with my spirit and says Abba Father and declares me to be a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, I'm an heir. I'm a joint heir with Christ. And I am able to say, Father, Father, I'm able to worship him in spirit and in truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what it'll do for you. I'll tell you, that'll keep the pills on the shelf. That'll keep the wine in the case. Are you hearing me? And that'll give you a hope that you can't get anywhere else because of the power of Christ on the inside of you. He said, what shall we say that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? I love that. Come on now. You need to be able to answer that. What does the scripture say? He said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That means that God had, remember last week, I talked about the giant invisible ledger, debit and credit. Y'all remember that? Only God has the ability to check off the debits and erase the credits. Now to him who works, the wages are counted as grace, but as the, not counted as grace, but as debt. We addressed that last week. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So he's simply saying, if you're in a lifestyle of trying to please God through your effort, you're always going to be in debt. It's going to be counted for you as debt. But for he who doesn't work, now that doesn't mean good works don't follow, they just don't proceed. And so, if you are having faith in Christ, God accounts that for righteousness. It wasn't just uh, Moses and Paul with this revelation, but he says, but it's also David. David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Look what he said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. I'll wait on it's a great place to say amen. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute or count sin. Now, that means God is not counting sin on you today. He's already counted, and you were insufficient to pay. So, he allowed the blood of Jesus to pay for all sins, past, present, and future. Our faith is in Christ. Works doesn't provide anything in the context of righteousness. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only for upon the, or also upon the uncircumcised? 
Now, see, because circumcision was a sign of the covenant, it was also in the law. And if a Hebrew man did not have circumcision, then he not only, he would be removed from the people. He said, so now let's go down. How was it then accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Paul, quickly, time will not allow me to because I got to get you to those last seven or eight verses. But Paul is just simply saying is that that act of circumcision is not sufficient for righteousness because Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised or gentiles that righteousness might be imputed to them also hallelujah man god all the time i hear people oh the children of israel they are god's chosen people i don't know about you i got up this morning and i felt chosen I know maybe you think I'm strange, but I read Peter's epistle, and he said, I was a peculiar generation, a special holy people to God, called out of darkness so that I could, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, exhibit the righteousness in the light of God. And so God has made us holy. We didn't deserve it. Joe already said it. Romans 3 said we had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God had determined we were all in sin, and he therefore let us all have access to grace. And the circumcision was that sign. The father of circumcision, 12th verse, not only to those who are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. We're going to close with this. Let's read this. I got to get you this. I want you to see this. I have preached this out of its proper context for many years, and I'm going to put it back in its proper context. The story here briefly is the record of Abraham receiving the promise of the promised seed Isaac. Let's read it in closing, but let's make the right application. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, the promise made of none effect. Now, I know it's, a, it's right at the noon hour, church family, but don't check out emotionally right now or you'll miss the heart of what God wants you to hear today. I really believe this. Because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. See, we will allude to that more later in the fifth and the sixth chapter. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. That's what God said about Abraham when he didn't even have children. Isn't that something? In the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead... And cause those things which do not exist as though they were. Wow, isn't that exciting? Because you're sitting there saying, Pastor, I don't feel very righteous. It isn't about your feelings. It's about your faith. And it's about what God's already said about you. Because if God speaks it, he will bring it to pass. Who contrary to hope, now it's speaking about Abraham. 
contrary to hope, in hope believed that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken. Now read this with me, so shall your descendants be. So now he makes this real personal and he looks at this ancient man called Abraham who was 99 years old. He was says not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He said since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able also to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness now let's pause right there it's an amazing story you've heard it before and I won't go into it in great detail today but Abraham after stumbling through the tent of Hagar at 87 years of age between 87 and 99 he had the ability to produce offspring when he was 87 but by the time he got to 99 there's one of two things he's either sterile or impotent he has no ability to produce a child and by reason of comparison Sarah is 90 years old and her womb is past the ability to bear a child but he believed God that what God had said he would also perform he considered not the deadness of his own body and he gave glory to God believing that if God said it he would perform it and his dead lifeless loins would leap back to life again and Sarah's dead lifeless womb would gain the ability to possess life and in God honored his word and an age man received the sign of the promise the offspring called Isaac and Sarah laughed and rejoiced because God gave her a child in her old age now I've always preached that in days gone by as ways to encourage you that with God all things are possible but I saw the greater revelation the greater revelation is this is that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins And we didn't have an ability to serve God. And we tried to serve God. And we would stumble and fall. And we would, in our mind, we wanted to follow the law of God. In our heart, we wanted to, but we would stumble in the flesh. We were incapable of serving God. We would go for a while. We'd be hot for a while. Then we'd fall away. And then we'd go for a while, and we would fall away. But let me tell you, when you learn to put your faith in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, and you stop working, and you start believing, then out of the presence of God comes the power of the Holy Spirit, and that which is out of you which was death now gains the life of God and you suddenly are raised again to a new creature in Christ Jesus and now you have the ability to do what you didn't previously have the ability to do just like Abraham had the ability to serve God and to produce children in his when he was 98 he couldn't do it he was 99 he couldn't do it but when the spirit of God gave him life he could do it the same way for you you used to try to serve God you couldn't do it But when the Spirit of God, whoa, I feel like shouting in here today. I don't know. This thing's just all over me. It's making me crazy in a good way because I've spent a lifetime trying to help people to learn how to serve God. And in doing so, they've never arrived at the place where they realize that the price of their sin has already been met. You can't equate it out with God. You can't wager it debate it you can't offer you just have to accept I'm accepted in Christ Jesus and the moment I accept it I who was dead in my trespasses and sin but now I'm cooking can you imagine what it was like around the campfire 
back in the Genesis, you know, in those days, people would gather, and they'd just sit and tell stories. Imagine people are looking, where's Abraham? You know, he usually sit around the campfire and tell stories. One night, and like, I don't know. I saw him and Sarah turn in a little early one night. Come on now. The sweet smell of Old Spice was penetrating the... <laughs> now, y'all got to play that out in your mind. You got to play that out because he didn't have the ability to do that. He was dead. He could think about it, try as hard as he wanted. It wouldn't make any difference. He was dead. But when he believed God, God, y'all hearing what I'm saying? All of a sudden, he got an ability to do what he couldn't previously do. That's why you tried to get off of drugs and you couldn't do it. Because you didn't trust in the Holy Spirit whom God would give when you put your faith in Christ. Are you hearing me today? And suddenly, once you have the revelation, God will quicken you and you have an ability that you no longer possessed. You can serve God. You can. I don't care who you are. You can serve God. You can serve God. Daryl, join me on the platform. We're going to close. I know I've taken a long time today to get you to this brief conclusion. I could really go someplace with that Abraham thing, but I'm just, I'm, the governor inside me, the Holy Ghost, just drawing me back, drawing me back, drawing me back. But now, of all fun aside for just a moment I want you to see that and hear that with me one last time the apostle Paul used an example in the natural to share with you when you feel unrighteous it has nothing to do with your feelings when you think that if I just do this God will accept me no you believe does that make sense you believe you believe you put your faith. See, Romans 10, we're not going to even get there in this series. It says, the word of faith is near you in your heart and in your mouth. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. Old things will pass away. Come on, he'll make all things new. You know why I really believe it's taking place in our culture today? I'm just going to be honest. I believe that we, have, we, we, we don't have a lot of sincere or authentic conversions many times people are not receiving the Holy Spirit they're not truly coming to the revelation that their sins are forgiven and they're accepted in Christ and now the Holy Spirit empowers you to live and walk differently they keep coming back to the altar trying to do it trying to measure up trying to serve God not realizing that the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you will give you the ability to do what you didn't previously have the ability to do. Is that right? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can yield your instruments as instruments of righteousness. That's why I say to you each week, I said, the same instruments, it's the same look. When you really get saved, I mean, your body externally doesn't change. Maybe we'd like for it to. You know, it's the same instruments. That's why Paul will make that argument in the sixth chapter. 
that you used to give over to sin, you now yield those as instruments of righteousness. You yield to the Holy Spirit who's on the inside of you. Isn't that a great place to be? Abraham believed God. God gave strength to his loins, gave life to his wife's womb, and produced fruit. In your life, when you have faith in God, and you trust the Lord, and you stop working, and you start believing, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to do in you what you've not had the ability to do in the flesh. Does that make sense? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I know it's way past the noon hour. But we're going to take just a moment of time to pray with you here today. It's 12.13.